Go with me to Matthew 14. There's been a lot said about trials this morning. Brian Ard opened us in the assembly. There's been a lot of talk out in the foyer and around the sanctuary. Let's just follow that train of thought, okay? Matthew 14. This is one of the few events from the life of Christ that were out of um, succession here as far as the life and ministry of Christ that we've been looking at. So we'll look at this again down the road. But um, this is one of the few events from the life of Christ that is uh, recorded in all four Gospels. I tried to point out when we would come to the different events recorded of the life of Christ when it's recorded by the synoptic writers or recorded solely by John. 90% of what John pins down is not recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This uh, event uh, is recorded in the Gospels for our our gleaning. It's that, uh, that event that we're all familiar with when the disciples find themselves in the ship on the sea, the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret, they're one and the same. And that sea is so situated geographically that violent storms can come upon the sea in a hurry. They don't last long, according to what people have recorded about them, but they can be extremely turbulent. The winds begin to blow, the fishermen make their way to the shore to this day. Stand with us, please, Matthew 14, 22 to 33. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse number 22 through 33. The Bible says, in straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him and to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and called him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. Whatever Christian will find in the storms of life. Thank you for standing. Very familiar passage of Scripture. And, of course, from this passage, there are a number of items that every Christian will find uh, when encountering the storms of life. And I thought Brian R. did an excellent job this morning reading the three passages he read, giving us a little bit of what he has gone through as of late in uh, 
just a bird's eye view of what he's been through, and then summing it up. But we all face storms, don't we? You've heard me say this. The calls I feel, most of the calls I feel these days are from people who are um, facing turbulent situations. During one, uh, during the fellowship song, one of our ladies to my left, and you're right, was in tears because of the particular day this is in her life. Um, they do come. We call them storms. Sometimes people call them valleys. I preached on valleys here recently. Sometimes they, they're even called mountains. They're turbulent, difficult places in life. Every child of God will find the providence of God in your storm. You will find the protection of God in your storm. You may not believe it, but you'll find that. You'll find the presence of God in your storm. You'll find the purposes of God. What's God doing in my life? I'll promise you he's not playing with your faith. He is accomplishing. He is working together for his glory and your good. You'll find the promises of God. And you'll find that the storm for the Christian will prove to your heart and life the preeminence of Christ. He is preeminent. He really is all that matters, child of God. He's really all that matters. One day we shall be gathered in over on the other side with those that have gone on before us, but ultimately to be with our precious Lord. But in the meantime, uh, we look forward to the sweet by and by, but in the meantime, we live in the nasty here and now, don't we? This familiar passage, you, you find right in the outset, the providence of God stands out to me. As a matter of fact, I told you when we were on the parking lot, and I've told you since coming back indoors, since we had the round with COVID, everywhere I look, I see the hand of God. That's just where I am in life. I've been there for the last several years of my life. God works in the lives of his people. And I see that everywhere about me. When I come to this passage I see the providence of God. Number one, the providence of God is seen in our Lord's command. Now, you remember in this chapter, there are three or four things that have taken place. First of all, there was the beheading of John the Baptist. Uh, you remember that John preached against Herod and Herodias' sin. John had taken his brother Philip's wife, uh, or Herod had taken his brother Philip's wife, and John preached against him. And Herodias wouldn't let it go. She was like Haman in the book of Esther. Couldn't let it go. Wouldn't let it go. She was waiting for opportunity, and just when she had the opportunity, she asked for John the Baptist's head and got it in a charger and got her soul sentenced to hell. That's in verses 1 through 12. After the beheading of John in verses 13 and 14, Jesus went out into a desert place to get away from the people. And when he did that, the multitudes learned where he went to. And they followed him out to where he was. Verses 15 through 21, you remember he took, um, he took according to verse uh, number 17, he took five loaves and two fishes and fed 5,000 men. That's not even counting the women and the children. That event is recorded in all four Gospels. And after he did that, of course, then he begins to send people away. He goes up into a mountain himself to pray. The providence of God is seen in this storm setting, in this seeing our Lord's command, first of all, in that he sent the multitudes away. 
In John's account, after he fed everybody with the fish and the loaves, the people were excited about it all. They wanted to make him king. They were looking through carnal eyes. They were not looking through spiritual eyes. And so he sends them away according to John's account of it all. Just because there was a lot of excitement did not mean that 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 was of God to make him king. So that they could have more fish and they could have more bread. They could have more of their loved ones and their neighbors heal. So the Lord's command, he, he shows wisdom in sending the multitudes away. And then he sent his own men away. If they had have stayed, they could have got caught up in all the hype and the hoopla. I've often said, you hear me mention preacher talk quite often before you. I can't deny who I am. I've often said to a young preacher, one of the worst things that can happen to him is for everything to take off for him and him to get involved in things that have a lot of excitement, a lot of noise, and a lot of people around. As a matter of fact, usually when a man sobers up, the Baptist church, first thing he wants to do is put him in a pulpit somewhere. Or when a convert is first saved, give them something to do. But really, the young man in the ministry, the man who's just sobered up, and the young convert, the best place for them is on a church pew in corporate worship until they get their feet on the ground, until they're grounded and settled and rooted in the faith. That's the best thing for them. And so Jesus shows great wisdom in that he sends his men away. A man, a couple of Thursday nights after class, I sat down with. He sits back toward the back, Jonathan and Hayden. It's a joy to have them in our classes this semester. My wife's in our classes this semester, and I know she needs it if they don't need it. <laughs> but Urshel Wyndham, Urshel is in the ministry, and Urshel, he was asking me some questions about ministry. He's, he's had a few opportunities to preach, but he's still a bit nervous, and it still is overwhelming. He's been asked to help out in a jail ministry. It seems a bit overwhelming to him. It's a bit much for him right now, and so he asked if I'd sit down, take a few minutes. I listened to him, and I said, first thing you need to do is talk to your pastor. Now, I'm going to give you a word, but you have a pastor. God placed a pastor in your life. You need to share this with your pastor. And, of course, he did. He went home. I called his pastor the next day. If he'd asked me about the weather, I wouldn't have called his pastor, but he asked me for spiritual advice. I'm not his pastor. Can I get a witness right there? If you have ears to hear. And so I called his pastor the next morning. I said, I just want to tell you about the conversation. If it had been the weather, I wouldn't have bothered you, but you need to know. You know something that probably I don't. And really, things are coming at him so fast, it's a bit overwhelming. He doesn't need to be uh, jumping head first into something he cannot handle right now. God help us all to learn to wait on the Lord. And so when these people want to make Jesus king, he sends the multitudes away. Then he puts his men in a ship, and he sends them away. They don't need the frenzy. They don't need the hype right now. They need to be growing in grace. They need to, they need to be settled in the faith. And, and then, of course, uh, Christ himself walks away. He ascends a mountain. He goes apart to pray. And, and if after a great moving of God, if the Lord Christ himself saw the need to spend time alone in prayer, how much more are we? Usually after a great victory in our lives or usually after a service where it seems like if I can use this terminology, even here around charity, where things seem to be on a high. Maybe it's a different type stirring. We've had a, numerous services like that through the years, have we not? You can expect it. If you'll come visit me a little while, we'll sit around and catch an attack of the devil. It's just mandatory, it seems, uh, for the life of a Christian. 
When God blesses, the devil will do what he does. But the Lord is keeping the multitudes from something, and he's keeping his own men from something. The providence of God is seen in our storms. It's seen here in this passage in our Lord's command. But then number two, in this particular case, this is the second storm where it's on the sea. The disciples are in a ship. You remember Matthew chapter number 8 gives us the first storm where they find themselves in the ship. And Jesus is asleep in that ship. That storm drove them to Christ. This storm brings Christ to where uh, they are. And in the midst of this storm, uh, dear heart, he's emptying them of, them of themselves. They've, they've really rowed and they've toiled and they've fought the storm with everything they've had. They'll get over into the fourth watch of the night. Christ could have spared them the storm, but he's emptying them of themselves, no doubt. They're exhausting themselves. They're giving themselves. I've said to a number of people, I said this to Brother Ronnie Owen when he joined our church about some years ago, something I just touched on. I never have gone into much detail over. But a couple of years of our lives, they were just harsh experiences. And I've told Brother Ronnie, I've said this the last couple of years to a number of you. I'll tell you what God was doing, among other things, he was emptying me of myself. I was full of myself. And God knows how to push a button in your life and in my life. He's still emptying me of myself. What a storm will do is not make you cocky nor arrogant, but a storm will humble you, will bring you to the end of yourself. I've often said this to people. It's been through very trying times. I think of Martha, Ray and Martha Crawford. They're the founders of Yes Ministries. And you would not want to live what they have lived. Some of the least critical people I've ever met in my life. Their lives were crushed. They didn't want to walk out their front doors. It's not anything they did. It was something a family member did. But it brought sore and grievous experiences to their lives. Where the devil tried to get them to go into hiding and stick their head in a hole somewhere. The devil kept saying, no, Ray, no, Martha, no. Your Christian witness is not needed, not even regarded nor respected anymore. God kept putting something and birthing something in their heart. And the Spirit of God kept saying, yes, Ray, yes, Martha. And he probably knows more preachers than I do. And I don't know how many preachers I know across this country. He has a ministry to preachers. He's not a preacher. It's amazing what God does in this particular case with these men. It's amazing what God will do in your experience. I said what God will do, not what you will do or anybody else, but what God accomplishes in this particular case. As a matter of fact, you remember they'll ask him in one of the storms, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Wake up, Master. Don't you know? Well, sure he knew. He's headed to the other side. He meant to sleep on it till he got there. They're the ones that are troubled and anxious Master, carest thou not that we perish? I'm glad our master cares where we are, and he knows where we are. Our Lord's command, this particular case, and then their concordance, their position. The providence of God is seen in their location. Their location is not an accident. It's their destination. The Lord knew exactly. He knew right well where he's sending them. He knew when he turned and went up the mountain. He's not turning his back on them. He's not forsaking them. But he knew right well where he's sending them. If you look at where they got on the ship and where they got off, they were to clip the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. And yet here they are now in the middle of the sea. He knew where he was sending them. He's sending them 
out in the midst of a storm. He thrust them out, if you will, into a storm, them not knowing, yet he knew right well. And I tell you, in my lifetime, it's done me good just knowing that God knows. It's brought me great hope and great comfort just to know that God knows before I get there, whether I ever pick the phone up and tell anybody else or not, I know God knows about it. I know I can take my case to the Lord. I know he's going to minister to me right where I am. You notice verse number 24 tells us where they are. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea. In the midst of the sea. Though they're going to clip the northeast corner of it, the, the winds had pushed him out. Then the Bible says, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea. It's no accident. God knows. The Lord Jesus knows. The Spirit of God knows where they are. So a dark place. The Bible says in verse number 25, it's in the fourth watch of the night. It's very dark experiences in their lives right now. Anyhow, John's just been beheaded. He's been in prison for some time. Now his head has been taken. And a wicked woman has that uh, severed head of John put on a charger. And it's brought and presented to her on a platter. And they, they reveled in that. They gloried in that. And open persecutions been going on by this time for some time in the life of Christ. The disciples have felt it. The shadow of the cross has already cast itself on the back of the Lamb of God. It's a very dark experience. I mentioned to you a few weeks back preaching on valleys. And I felt just as compelled that morning to preach that message. And I guess I've preached that message six or seven times here. I guess I've preached that message probably near a hundred times over the years. God gave me that message at my mother's grave. Uh, side, uh, the service, uh, the day we buried her in November of, of, um, of 2008. And uh, there are about 40 messages. When I load up for a meeting, it's about 40 messages. Now, I can preach more than 40 messages, but... It's about 40. I just grab my notes and I put them in a binder and I just take off. And I don't know the times I've preached that message. I was preaching at Rolling Creek Baptist Church, preaching revival. It's probably 15 years ago. It's out from Meridian, Mississippi. It's just south and east of Meridian, Mississippi. Rolling Creek Baptist Church. And I preached that very message. Come out different. That particular night I was preaching and, and I dealt with the dark experiences of the valley of the shadow of death. That's where it seemed to the service seemed to fall, and I didn't go to the door after the services. The pastor, Brother Ronnie, left me over here, and people would come to me, and most would just go on out the door. There were several come to me that night. There was a dear lady. Um, you could tell by looking on her countenance she was tired, and I'll leave it at that. But she waited until everybody else had had their turn and come by, and she come up with her granddaughter, and she said, Brother Kevin said, I've lived some of that darkness. I said, you have? She said, I have. She said, the last two years, I've lived it. She said, my mom said, we lost my mom years ago. She said, my daddy fell ill. It fell my lot to take care of him. And I watched him until he just withered away and died. She said, a few weeks later, said, my husband had a massive heart attack and died in our bed one night, lying beside me. And she said, just a few months later, said, our only daughter said she would, had stopped at the intersection. She was driving through and uh, somebody coming in from the side, T-boned her, never checked up at the intersection, said uh, the highway patrolman told me she thought he died on impact and said, all I have is my granddaughter and said, we don't, a lot of months have enough to go around, said my, said my church helps me uh, to see that uh, she has enough. And she said, I want you to know God's been faithful through it all. 
I'm glad there's hope even in the midst of dark times, child of God. This is a dark experience. It's in the midst of the sea. It's a very distressing experience. The verse, uh, verse number 24 says that they were tossed with waves and then goes on and says that the wind was contrary. That means the wind was against them. It's blowing in their face. They're trying to move forward, but they can't, they can't move forward. Um, they're rowing. They're doing what they can, but it seems that the wind is pressing against them. And yet they're right in the midst of the will of God. Christ put them there. Have you ever examined where you are in life and then look back and re-examine where God has led you to in life? If God has led you to where you are in life, that's where you are to be, even in the midst of very dark and distressing experiences. Whatever Christian we'll find in the storms of life, number one, you'll find the providence of God. This hadn't caught God by accident. I told someone on the phone last night, God knew about it before you ever got there. I remember talking to Daryl Duffy when he was facing some of his um, trials before him. I believe you said the Lord knew about it 60-some-odd years ago or something like that, and he wasn't worried about it. The Lord knew about it then. He knew about it when he was facing it. That's where his confidence was. Many of you have spoken to me in that same regard. Take cheer in God today. Take confidence in your Lord today, child of God. Whatever Christian will find in the storms of life, number one, the providence of God. Number two, the protection of God. I must know that God has brought me here. I must know of his leading. Brian Ard started us off. I love those two verses. Don't you? Some of you ladies have this on a home and tear, that God-forsaken home and tear junk you got on your walls. Uh, take that up with the big filly if you got anything to say after the service. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And he does that for the child of God, does he not? Now, I can get outside the will of God. But if I'll follow him, he'll lead me in the paths that bring honor unto himself. I think about there in Psalm number 37, verse number 23, the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered. That means ordained. Ordained, ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. God orders our steps. I don't know what tomorrow holds for my life. I don't know where God will lead, but my confidence is that he will not turn his back on me. He has yet to do that. He's not going to turn his back. He's not going to forsake me. And, and, and I've, often, I've often stated something along this line. I may not know about my tomorrows, but looking back over my past, it looks like a jigsaw puzzle going together one piece at a time. And God has been there every step of the way. As a matter of fact, this may bother some of you, but looking back even as a lost man, God, looking ahead in time, knew who I was. He knew my choice for Christ. He knew what he would use me for in my life. I could tell you about a preacher that most of you know. He's had a fruitful ministry through the years. If I told you about his childhood, you would think, preacher, no way, but God, he's convinced God looking ahead in time knew exactly when he would save him, and how he would use him going down the road. I'm telling you, I'm glad he's sitting in the captain's chair, not me. You'll find the protection of God. You'll find that he sees, though he's up on the mountain in the middle of the night, he still sees them, he hears them, he hears their cries. 
He knows them. He knows that God's children. As a matter of fact, he prays for us. Marvel of marvels. God the Son intercedes for us. God the Spirit intercedes for us. God talks to God, talks to God for all his children. Good news, children. The Trinity is interested in us. If the devil ever tells you nobody cares, he's a liar. God the Father cares. God the Son cares. God the Holy Ghost cares. There's a bunch of his people that care as well. Isn't it amazing how the Bible teaches us in the book of Romans about the intercession of the Holy Spirit that he maketh groanings which cannot be uttered? Do you know the feeling of that? The import of that is that sometimes... I've come to the place of being before the Lord. Sometimes I don't know what to say. I do not speak in some heavenly language like the Southern Baptist embraced a few years ago. I just don't know how to express myself. And I have groaned and I have moaned and waited before the Lord. The idea is not just that the Son of God is touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but the Spirit of God is touched. We groan and He groans before the Father. We moan and we hurt and he takes our moans before the sun. It's amazing that the Trinity cares for us. You know what we could preach on this morning? We could preach on how we ought to grit it out. And I could twist your arm up behind your back and try to force you to live right. But if you ever get your eyes on God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, if you ever get your head in the book, it'll change your life. We won't need to wrestle one another around the church house. You'll do what you want to do out of the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. See, what makes me ashamed of an attitude or action, thought or deed, is the fact that God has been good to me and I've taken his blessings for granted. (laughs) Say amen anyhow. He feels, he prays, he knows, he cares. Does Jesus care? I think we've done, I've touched on this last three or four years around here, mostly on Wednesdays. I think we've done the same injustice to our people in the Baptist church the charismatics have done in their gatherings. The charismatics have tried to guilt trip people into being filled with the Holy Ghost. Aren't I right? If you don't speak with unknown tongues or in some type of of an ecstatic language, then you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, they say. And earnest seekers have tried to repeat what they've heard repeated before them and mimic what they feel to be more mature believers. We've done the same thing in the Baptist church. I don't care if if you've not been saved any longer than Luke Wilder. You have access to the throne of God. You have access to the scriptures. And not only now the preacher has an anointing. I understand that, and I'm interested in that anointing. What the Bible says, even about the anointing of the Spirit of God upon life, uh, upon Christ and his life. But I want to tell you, according to what John wrote in 1 John, every one of you, brothers and sisters, there's an anointing upon your life. If you'll study your Bible, and you've got to do that for yourself, if you'll study your Bible, God can open the Word of God up to you, and you can grow in grace. What do we find in the storms of life, child of God? You'll find the providence of God. You're not where you are today by accident. You'll find the protection of God in your life and his ministry in your life. I think it was C.S. Lewis. Was it C.S. Lewis that asked the question, what if 
you knew that Jesus was in the next room praying for you? How would you approach your situation? And then he went on and told the men that he was talking to, he said, good news, he's not in the next room praying for you, but he is in the throne room praying for you. Tell you what else you'll find in the storms of life, child of God. You'll find the presence of God. Look at verse number 25. Notice when Christ comes to them, verse 25. Here it is. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. There's when he comes. He comes in the fourth watch of the night. That's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. We've all heard it. I don't know if it's so or not, but we've all heard it's darkest just before dawn. It is believed the fourth watch of the night is the darkest part of the night before sunrise. This is when he comes to these men. When it seems that all is spent of their energies and it seems that all is over. Think about what Paul wrote about his experience in 2 Corinthians when he wrote... We would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia that we were pressed out of measure. In other words, it was more than we could bear. We've been told in northeast Mississippi, God won't put more on you than you can bear. It ain't in the book. It sounds good, but it just ain't in there. Paul said, there was more on me than I could bear. You say, preacher, what do I do when more is on me than I can bear? You run to Christ. You flee to Christ. You go down upon your knees. You take the matter to our great high priest, our Lord. Listen to what he went on to write. He said that we were pressed out of measure, above strength. He said, it's more than I could bear. Insomuch that we despaired even of life. He said, I thought we would die. But then he went on and said, but we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God which raiseth the dead, there's when he comes. I have been there where I wondered where God was. You say, preacher, would you admit such a thing? I think it's time we all got honest with each other. I've not struggled with that the recent in past years, but there was a time when I did, I wondered where he was at. Brother Ken Trivet tells about um, in... Uh, Norfolk, Virginia, there in the harbor, there was a naval ship, a naval destroyer. He and some other men were able to go on board. And the officer that took them on said he stopped before they got, um, before they got to the, um, I don't know the proper terminology, so you forgive me, where they would walk across the water, um, the bridge, if you will, from, from shore to the ship. And he said, just before they stepped aboard, said the officer turned to his right and said he saluted, said it was foggy that day. And he said, I did ask him what he was saluting. He said, though you couldn't see it, the American flag flies just beyond your eyesight. And he said, we always salute the stars. and We always salute our banner that represents this great country. I thought about that, and I thought about there we are sometimes wondering where God's at. He's where he's always been. His flag is still flying. He's still in residence, friend. Notice how he comes. He comes walking upon the sea. The very thing that had brought distress is going to usher Christ into their lives. I find it to be that way in my life. 
The very thing that I fight, the very thing I try to resist is the vehicle by which Christ shows himself to me. You notice why he came. That's his children. That's his people. By this time, he's already ordained them to be apostles. By this time. As a matter of fact, about three messages down the road, we'll get in Brother Jay's Sunday school class. It'll be where he ordains 12, sets aside 12. He's never forsaken his own. Whatever Christian will find in the storms of life, you'll find the providence of God. He knows where you are. You'll find the protection of God. The devil can't get any closer to you than God allows. You'll find the presence of God, and you'll find the purposes of God. Look at verses 27 to 33. The Bible says, And straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come to thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and called him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. Let me tell you something I was thinking about, and I hope I'm not an embarrassment uh, to a young man that's with us today, but a week before last, um, Miss Kathy Weatherly brought three pictures dealing of my mom, school days. She and my mom, I did not know this. Uh, they were friends and went to school together, went to school together. As a matter of fact, she told me a funny story, and I won't share that with you. But uh, she brought three pictures of my mom. She had them framed, little, and now they're on um, bookshelves, on some of my bookshelves. The section of the person and work of Christ had three long, three and a half, actually, shelves. I don't know how many books I've got on the person and work of Christ. But... I was not there when she brought them to our home, but immediately I knew what I would do in return. I ordered her my favorite. I I don't know how many devotional books I've had through the years. My favorite is Streams in the Desert by Mrs. Calman. As far as I'm concerned, it's the best. If you feel different, just keep your mouth shut. It's the best. That dear lady bumped into God somewhere in her lifetime. And, but I... Immediately got online, ordered her a copy, and Friday I took it to her. And, and I thanked her for the pictures. They mean a lot to me. And Melissa, you're welcome to one of them. They meant a lot to me. And uh, I remember a time, uh, y'all will remember this, uh, where if you took pictures, you took it with a camera, then you took the film, you, you, you rolled that off in your camera, and then you Tuck it out and you slipped it in a little container and you took it to the drugstore and had it developed. And they had to take it to a dark room. And in that darkness, they would develop that. And then some of us were privileged uh, to have a Polaroid camera. You know, you could snap. There was the flash. There was the zoom and all the noise. And then we got a picture. I want to tell you, a lot of times in the storms of life, it gets real dark. But God's developing you. And he's developing me. And there are purposes for us being there. All times it is so that he can take us farther than we've been yet. It's easy for the rest of the disciples. We don't know that they stayed in the ship and criticized Peter for getting out, but it would have been easy to do that. 
But Peter did get out. He went to Christ upon the sea in the midst of the waves and the winds. The purposes of God, of course, is to make us more like Christ. And it is to experience his touch in a way that maybe we've not yet experienced before. Peter is one of those in Scripture that pray simple prayers but produce supernatural results. Do you remember Samson after his fall? The Philistines gore his eyes out. He did grind in the prison house like an ox. They laughed at him. They probably spat on him. But the Bible does make mention that his hair did begin to grow again. And a little boy was leading him. And there at the pagan temple, he prayed a simple prayer, didn't he? He said, Lord, strengthen me one last time. Strengthen me. That's all he prayed. Strengthen me. He wanted to get vengeance for those eyes. The grinding at the prison house, the embarrassment of that, that didn't bother him near like goring his eyes out, losing his eyesight. And you remember God answered the prayer. and The Bible teaches us that Samson slew more Philistines in his death than he did in his life. And here Peter is. Peter is, he's done something none of us have done. He's out walking on the water in the midst of a storm on top of that, walking on the water. Then he's done something we've all done. He took his eyes off the Lord Jesus. And when he did that, he beginning to sink, cried and said, Lord, save me. I heard one preacher say years ago that when Simon Peter would preach in the early church, when he'd come rolling up, somebody would probably say, oh, no, there's Peter again. We've got to listen to that walking on the water sermon. He said he probably would walk in and say, I don't want to tell you about walking on the water. I want to tell you about when the Lord picked me up out of the water and carried me back to the ship. Do you have a testimony of where he helped you at a, at a crucial time in your life? Don't forget where he's brought you from, child of God. It also is to help people in ways that we never imagined helping. Did you ever, uh, some of you that have ministry to others and help others, did you ever think God would ever use you the way he's using you? It's amazing how he does that, isn't it? Paul would write, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, all of our thalipsis, all our crushing experiences, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God to help people in ways that we never imagined. I remember having conversation with Don Sable years ago, sitting out in the yard to myself and... Uh, He said, Preacher, your misery, your misery is going to turn into ministry one of these days. He said, I'm not telling you God's going to give you a second blessing, nor that God's going to give you a second call to preach. But he said, your misery and pain, God's going to let you minister out of that. And when you start ministering out of that, that'll be your medicine. He said, that's just the way God works. He said the world would try to give you something to numb it. But God has purpose and you're going through it. Some of us understand some of that, don't we? Sure don't understand it when we're there, do we, Jim? Get down the road and begin to understand some of it. The world says that hindsight's twenty twenty, but it's not, is it? 
We still don't know all God may have been doing and all he's doing now. What will we find in the storms of life as a Christian? We'll also find the promises of God to be yea and amen. Peter said, Lord, that's really you. The rumor was they were brought up in the superstition that the lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, was haunted. Evidently, they bought into it. They said, it's a spirit. Look out there. There's a spirit. He said, you fellows, be of good cheer. It's me. It is I. Be not afraid. Peter said, if that's really you, let me come out there. And he said, come. And that word come accomplished everything it needed to in Peter's life. And I want to tell you something. The promises of God will do that for your life. It'll do that for your life. You can rest, take cheer in the promises of God. Then it is to show the preeminence of Christ. With this, I'm done. Of course, verse number 32 and 33. When they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. And they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. And the Lord Jesus doesn't have to prove himself, does he? Whether you had ever known him or not, he doesn't have to prove himself. He has nothing to prove. But hasn't he proven himself time and again, child of God? Hasn't he proven himself faithful, compassionate? Hasn't he ministered to you in times and places and stations in life where it had to be him do it? I'm like you all. I don't understand. I don't understand how man can go through life despising his very creator. I don't understand how a man could by his own lifestyle shake his fist in the face of his own maker. I don't understand it. I don't, I don't understand it. That's the spirit of rebellion. And I'm telling you, the Bible says the spirit of rebellion is as witchcraft. It's out of the pit. But I don't understand it. But I'll tell you what I do understand. There's a God in heaven who cares. There's one seated at his right hand who intercedes for me. And there's the Spirit of God that ministers in my heart as well. Looking back over this passage, I was reminded of the story of uh, Mr. and Mrs. G.A. Young. They lived up in the Midwest back in times when Brother Young would get on horseback. Then they got a wagon and his wife began traveling. They'd go find small populated areas and they would tell the townspeople that they would preach at sunset he would preach at sunset they never had much they did lay lumber by and logs by and while middle-aged they were able to build a one-room home they were proud of it and mr and mrs young they often would count their blessings they were that type of people if you read their biographies there was a scandinavian immigrant family by the name of Lilanus. The boy's name was Haldor. Haldor, his mom and dad, got a local lady to teach their son and them, but mainly their son, English, while they worked. The lady was a Christian. And after teaching him English and how to read and write and spell and all the basics, she would share the gospel with him. And they would sing. Every day they would sing. God leads his dear children along. 
He came to appreciate the song even before he was saved. He inquired after he became an adult about Brother Young and his wife and come to find out um, Brother Young had taken a stand where he lived. People knew he traveled in and out of the little house, he and his wife. So one span while they were gone for a few weeks looking for places to preach the gospel, they burned his little house. He and Mrs. Young, they come pulling up in their wagon with nowhere to lay their head. And rather than becoming bitter, Brother Young said to his wife, let's bow our heads and thank the Lord for what this world cannot take from us. Mr. Lilanus learned where the Youngs were from. He didn't know if they were alive or not. So he had the means. He took some days off, went to the little place where they were from, come to find out Brother Young had died, already made the crossing. Mrs. Young was put in the county home. She had nowhere to go. So he found her, told his story about being an immigrant, a dear lady, leading him to the Lord, teaching him English, leading him to the Lord. And said every, every day, she, she saw to it, we sang together. Every day, God leads his dear children along. And your husband penned the words to that hymn. And I have learned to appreciate it greatly and find myself singing it every day. And he asked, could you tell me about your husband? And she said, well, sir, thank you for your visit. She said, I thought when my husband, when God called him home, I would die. She said, I never imagined life without him. Said, we married when we were but kids and never really had anything. Told him the story about being burnt out. Said we had nowhere to go. Said when he died, we didn't have anything. And said, then some of the officials brought me here. Said, I didn't think I'd make it, but said, it's been the best thing for me. You know, said, they bring people here that don't know my Lord. And said, I'm able to share my Lord with those people. And many of them now have come to know my Lord. She said, all those hard times have brought me right here. The words to God leads his dear children along that Brother Brother Young pinned down go like this. In shady green pastures so rich and so sweet where the waters cool flow and bathes the weary one's feet God leads his dear children along. Some through the waters, some through the flood. Some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. I'm glad God leads his dear children along. I trust you are too. Miss Angie, would you come play some hymn of invitation, please?